Amen. Thanks, Brent. You did a good job. Brent did a good job of explaining all of that very quickly. And he said puke, which was awesome. For all of you who are on me for saying fart too much, he said puke. So we're getting there as far as our middle school vernacular. <laughs> I love it. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Romans 12. Romans 12. Um, and listen, you hear me, I love all of you very much. I love this church ferociously, um, which is why I know I'm going to have to be very careful today in this topic, not to be over provocative to get your attention or anything cheesy like that, but this is a sensitive topic, and I'm just going to ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to work with you today. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the text, and allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you where you need to be challenged and maybe even encourage you in some very key moments because you're going to have an immediate reflex to either be embarrassed or ashamed or you're going to have an immediate reflex to be proud and arrogant in this and I would just caution you to either. You see we've been working and we're in the second week of a very quick little series we're going to jump in and out called Having Not Owning. And it's a talk on stewardship, but probably not one that you grew up with. Last week, we talked about how we manage and we steward our ambitions and our life's direction. That doesn't belong to us. God owns that. We just steward and manage those things. And today, I want to talk about the human body, right? You probably never heard a sermon on how we manage the human body, not from the pulpit. I know you've seen it on TV. And, and I will tell you one of the big reasons pastors avoid this is because it has great opportunity to offend people. People can get hurt. Pastors don't want people to get hurt, either because they love them or they don't want people to leave. And I gotta be honest, I, I'm not super excited about doing all the work I needed to do for this because of the same thing. I'm, I'm a little, ugh, I don't know if I want anyone to get offended in this, and I don't want anyone to leave, but I love you too much to, to do a series on management and stewardship and just blow this topic off because it's sensitive. So hear this from somebody who loves you and loves this church. And I did want to stack this as quick as I could to the beginning of the year because I know a lot of you are setting goals right now. And if you need some help in setting goals, I did post a blog last week on setting goals and why some of your resolutions don't stick. And feel free to go there and grab that off the website. Um, but I'm also going to do this as I've been thinking about it and putting it together. I'm going to do this without mentioning any kind of a diet plan. I'm going to do it without talking about working out. I'm not going to shill out what I do or go totally paleo on you up here. I'm not going to talk about flipping tires. I'm not going to tell you what you ought to do. I'm not going to tell you what I do. I'm not going to tell you any of these things because we are all very different people. We're built differently, genetically. God has just designed us to be different people. We're short, we're tall, we, we're, it's easy to stay a certain weight for many of us. I'm not going to talk about it also because our, our budgets are different. It can be expensive in today's world to live a certain way when we're talking about health and stewarding the body. Our calendars are different. Everything is different. Our situations are too different for me to stand up here and pretend that I know the panacea for everyone when it comes to managing and stewarding our bodies. I'll also say, being a good steward and being a good manager of the human body does not mean you looking like the model on the ab wheel commercial. You know what I'm saying? Any more than being a good steward of your money means giving it all away. Because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this, and a lot of exaggeration, I think. But it's definitely something that's been caught up in disobedience in the church. Church does not do a good job 
with a human body, not for reasons that you might immediately think when I say that. Okay? So, I think too often we look at our bodies and we think we own our bodies. We don't manage our bodies. We own them. We manage everything around us. Money, time, talent, belongings, relationships, all that stuff we manage. But this, I look at this every day in the mirror. I groom it. I brush it. I shower. It belongs to me. It's been, it's been mine since I came out of the womb. This I own. And if you think that, and listen, I, I, I get there real fast. That's my natural default, too, is to think that I own this thing. It's because culture has engineered us to think this way. We were born in a culture that says you own your body, it belongs to you, and no one has anything to say about it. If you look at the kernel truth, in their eyes truth, the kernel argument, I'll say it that way, behind all of those who are promoters of abortion, what, what is the leading argument? This is my body, it belongs to me, it doesn't belong to anyone else. You can't tell me what to do with my body. And if you own your own body, then they're right. Think about the sexual revolution, the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. You could have sex with whoever you wanted to, have intimate relationships with anyone you wanted to because it was your body and it wasn't hurting anyone else. Right? And you talk about the drug revolution, which started pretty much around the same time, and actually we're seeing a reprisal of a drug revolution right now, I would say. And, and what that cries out is you can put anything in your body, and no one can tell you what to do because it is your body. You own it, own it to your glory. Own it to your own glory. Do we own our body, though? Do we own it? Think about it. Or is it, like our time, talent, and treasure, a gift from God, just like everything else that is about us? Because it matters greatly. Is this something we have, or is this something we own? I think the big core truth in the Bible that the culture denies, and even a lot of the church, and when I say a lot, I should say most of the church denies, is that God has creative rights over the body. Creative rights. If you were to look at Genesis 2, and it'll be up on the screen, I want you to stay in Romans 12, okay? But in Genesis 2, Moses says this as he writes, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, not a laboratory, but from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Right? So we weren't made in a lab. We weren't genetically modified in any way, but we arrived out of this intense and creative brilliance from God, from his love. You know, what's controversial today is there is the ability for you to create something and actually end up not owning it. It's something that creatives struggle with today. You can develop a piece of visual art. You can produce a song. And if you don't play your cards right, and you don't hire the right lawyer, and you don't have the right paperwork done at the right time, you could end up losing ownership of something you created. It could happen with inventions, too. I know a guy who, who has a couple patents out there and has invented some pretty break, breakthrough technologies in, in the oil industry. And he had, a, he had spent a small fortune on just making sure that he could own what he created. Because just because you create something doesn't mean you own it, right? I, I was this close right after Julia was born. Me and Paula were this close to inventing a new kind of pacifier. And I'm not going to tell you about it because I still might do it someday. But the only thing that stopped me in my tracks was realizing how expensive it was to invent something. But I can't even afford to invent something. I'll tell you what, there is no controversy from God's perspective when it comes to creative rights. We have no dibs on the human body. 
It belongs to him. It belongs to him. Even further, Hebrews 1, verse 2, and we're going to see this up on the screen as well, but this actually takes this truth I'm presenting and stretches it out. It says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Heir, owner, same thing. The heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds it. So you have cells swirling around in your body. You have chemical reactions occurring right there as you sit there listening to the words I say. All of that is upheld and continued because God says so. Because he says so. He upholds it. This is good for us. It's good for us to see this because what we're, we're finding out is if God did not just create the body. He considered it before he created it. He owns it. He develops it. He upholds it. And then he's going to extend it into the future, as we're going to see in a, in a moment. If this isn't true, then the culture is right. If the Bible is true, then the culture is wrong. Also important is that when the body was created, the human body, God said this is very good. It's very good. It's not innately evil. It's not an evil thing or a dirty thing because it's materialistic. Christianity is different than a lot of world beliefs. And the fact that what we have in this human body is both temporal and eternal, right? There's no dualism. There's no dualism even that says that whatever is material is evil and kind of dirty. But if it's immaterial in spirit, that it is good. Because you've seen that in the history of a lot of religions. Christianity disagrees with both. Our body is both temporal and eternal, and it is good. It's good. It's not disposable. It's not temporary. Certainly the body is going to die, and there will be a reverse genesis. It will turn back into dust only until God redeems it. And he takes all of the sin and all of the physical damage that comes to our bodies because of sin, all of the cancerous moles, all of the bipolar weirdness that goes on with us, all of the chemical reactions that, that, that drag us closer to death, more and more, all of that will be pulled, will be extracted from our bodies. And just as Philippians says, our lowly body will look like God's glorified body. This is all going to happen. You see, God didn't just create the human body. He didn't just consider the human body. He doesn't just value the, whole, the human body. He, he doesn't just uphold the human body. He extends the human body into the future. And all of this for his very own glory. So what do we do? We worship God with our bodies. So I'd like to just take you to Romans 12. If you have there in your Bible or your device, this is going to be the key text. We will jump to another one that I think is important, but this is the, the main text. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, which is all of our temptations. We're born in it. We swim in it. We live in it. It's easy to be conformed to it. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this text is not speaking of just how we handle our bodies, but it's not speaking to less than that either. It is speaking to more than just how we handle our physical bodies, our structural frames, but it's not speaking to less than that. In our factory setting, 
how we come out of the womb, our default is to worship in the wrong directions. We're just known to do that. We'll take what God has given us and we will abuse and break those things, worshiping in the wrong direction, not for God's glory, but for our own glory. This is just the people we are. It's the bad news that we carry into this world. So when our body is concerned, we will even employ our body to worship in the wrong directions, filling appetites that we hunger for every day. In other words, if you need identity in life, value and approval, you can get that through your body. People do it every day. They're doing it right now. If you're looking for security, you can get that through your body. If you want comfort, you want peace, you can get that through your body. You can get it all. I think there's two major ways as I look at this. And the, the, two major ways that we do this. Two major ways that we worship in the wrong direction when it comes to our body. And I'll tell you the key part of this passage that leads me to believe this is how it refers to us as a living sacrifice in Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why does it say living sacrifice? It's common back then, back in the day that this was written, that when sacrifices would happen, they would drag a live animal and place the live animal on the altar. They wouldn't drag a dead animal up there and just further mutilate it. It would be a live animal. It might be a dove or a ram or a sheep or a, something like that, eventually a king, eventually our savior, but they were always living. Now, if you were trying to pin down an animal in order to kill that animal, it's going to squirm off the altar or try to escape the altar. And as I find myself a living, a living sacrifice, if I'm honest, I don't like being on that altar very often. I like to squirrel off of it. I like to scramble off of it. And I usually do it when it comes to the body in one of two directions. When I scramble off of the altar and I don't like being a living sacrifice, especially when it comes to how I handle my body, it is either in over-neglecting the body or over-promoting the body. One of those two. I'm either focusing too much on my body or I'm focusing too little on my body, and I've been mistaken enough to do both. I failed in both of these areas, and I know what it feels like struggling with my body just being disposable and secular, and I can just do whatever I want with it to my own glory, or I'm going to promote it and vault it and elevate it above all things, again, for my own glory. And there's obvious traps to this in both ways, right? I mean, you don't even have to talk about it very long before you see. If you over-elevate or promote your body, too much, consider it too much, focus on it too much, it leads to some things, doesn't it? You have image breakdown, image issues. You have people trying to meet this ideal of beauty and this ideal of fitness and this, this perfect version of what a body is supposed to look like. It might lead to immodest dress over time. It might even digress 10 stages later into something like an eating disorder. Now, eating disorders, that's a separate, just separate topic altogether, but it is not less than an image issue. It's not less than a, a value issue. And then when you have maybe over-neglecting it, there's obvious traps to that. You start off with laziness, a lazy lifestyle or an entitled lifestyle, but it does decrease and start to degenerate all the way to something like maybe obesity, heart disease, death even. They're very serious. And so I wanted to just talk about how we squirrel and, and clamor off of the sacrifice in these two areas, either over-elevating the body's importance or demoting the body's importance. I think when we over-elevate the body's importance, it's typically going to be a hunt for approval and value, 
just a, a, a grab at some sort of worth in our life, whether it's going to be a, a skinny waist or big bulging arms or, I don't know, perfect numbers, a golden tan. You may be trying to gain some sort of a value. You might be trying to gain some sort of a, a beauty out of not being satisfied with the beauty that has already been given to you or pride or given to you. So this is what I mean when I say that. Jesus because of the work that he has done, has given you a new passport, which gives you a new identity altogether. You're a new person altogether. Right? And it's a beautiful picture of who you are. What God did has provided you with something entirely otherworldly. But sometimes we're not very excited about this vertical identity, this vertical approval, this vertical value that God has just gifted us. And so we have to hunt horizontally. We have to get it from others to give us approval and worth. And the only ruler we have to do that with is the one that culture provides. And that's a harsh ruler, is it not? Because culture works over time in defining for you and me what beautiful is, and it just expects us all to jump to its rhythm and try to match what beautiful looks like. I'll tell you, this is difficult for me as a father to daughters. As a father over daughters, I am excited I am excited to see this barrage of actresses and models basically declare war on the media for photoshopping their images. You've probably started to read that here and there in the media, right? Because you'll have a model who, in our culture's eyes, would look what we would call beautiful, whether it's a guy or a girl. But then Photoshop will get in touch with them, and they will remove all of their pores and stray hairs and maybe a laugh line or a wrinkle or take a few inches off the arms or take a few inches off the waist and so that they look so out of reach from just the common person. But not just the common person, even the models and actresses themselves cower under the weight of their very own images. I was reading about kind of the birth of when all of this was super out of control when it came to Photoshop. And isn't it interesting how a computer program is almost single-handedly defined what a new beautiful is in today's world? Just Photoshop. <laughs> it's interesting, in 2009, the editor of Self Magazine had written a response to an outburst of controversy, an outburst of just indignation against this beauty industry because of a photo that they did, a cover photo of Kelly Clarkson. And listen, she, in our culture's eyes, is a beautiful woman, but they took about 70 pounds off of her. She showed up just a couple days later on TV, and people saw that she was not the same woman that was on the cover. She was much different looking. This is what this woman said, the editor. She says, yes, of course, we do post-production corrections on our images. Photoshopping is an industry standard. Did we alter her appearance? Absolutely only to make her look her personal best. I think this photo is the truest we have ever put out there on the newsstand. That's the new beautiful. Can I just say this is crushing our young women. It is crushing our young women. And consequently, it's crushing our young men through pornography as well. That, again, is a different subject. It's crushing our younger generation. All, all of a sudden, this is... What beautiful is. No longer does the Bible cry out and tell us what beautiful is. Photoshop is doing it. And some warped view from a couple key people. Women feeling pressured to look a certain way because that apparently is what men want. 
And that is what the media is desiring to put out there and say, this is normal, this is beautiful for you. It's not just women. It's not just women either. It's men as well, right? As a, as a man speaking to men, if you've ever been in and out of the gym in your lifetime, right, which, which is probably many of you, you've been in and out of the gym, how many days were chest and try days? You know what I'm saying? If, listen, if you're a woman or you don't know, maybe you're a guy and you don't know what I'm talking about, chest and triceps is like the Super Bowl for the guy. Every, I mean, you look forward to going into the gym and doing chest and triceps every day because that's, that is our boutique muscles. Those are the ones that the culture looks at and says, now that's a man because he's got a big puffy chest and it's stretching his shirt out and he's got carved arms, right? Listen, I'm getting old-er. And in February... I turned 40. It's a big milestone, right? So I find myself in the gym not doing the stuff I want to do, but doing stuff I have to do just so I can stay functional in life. I'm doing hips for the first time. <laughs> in college, I was like, hips? You could do that? Aren't those like bones? You know, I mean, how would you do that in a gym? But I have to do hips. I have to do things called mobility. This is the interesting thing. In my gym, which is a pretty big gym, I walk up, the hip station, no one there. Machines are brand new. The settings are still there from the last week whenever I was on it. I don't have to wait in any lines to use the hip machines, right? Why? Because if I walk into a bar or I go into the locker room, no guy is going to come up to me and say, hey, Luke, can I ask you a question? What's your routine for your hips, man? I'm noticing that your hips are like right what I'm kind of looking for. What do you do for your hips? That conversation doesn't happen anywhere. But for your chest or your triceps, maybe. Guys are just as bad. Because culture has told us that is what is good-looking. Diets springing up all over the place, promising, promising that if you do that diet, you will look a certain way, even if it destroys your health. Listen, fitness and health are not the same thing. They are connected. You can't be fit unless you're healthy, and you can't be healthy unless you're fit, right? But there are diets you can do that will boost how you look and tear your body apart inside. Diets all over promising you can look like the cover of Self Magazine. You could look like the cover of Men's Fitness if you do this. It's the new beautiful. And if culture's standard, this new beautiful, cannot be reached by the gym, and it cannot be reached by the diet, then we always have eating disorders that pop up, and they do pop up all the time. Because we need to change how we look so that people will value us, and so that we can value ourselves, by the way. So we can value ourselves. So some of us in here right now, we struggle with this. Elevating our body. Elevating our body for our glory. Mismanaging something that we don't even own. We don't even own this body. Listen, this isn't a weakness we have. It's a sin we commit. That's important. This is not an amoral issue. It's a moral issue. It's not a weakness we have. It's a sin we commit. It's a sin in the fact that we're stealing this body that's been entrusted to us. It's a sin in the fact that we have conformed to this world, that we're trusting in other sources for our identity and our value. It's a sin in all of those things, and sins require repentance. That's the thing, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but before we did, we pause right there. I'd love to go to the other way in which we scramble off the altar as a living sacrifice, and again, I'm guilty of this one just as much, and that is demoting the body's importance, which is typically a hunt for comfort and peace. Typically, not always. Most typically, it's a hunt for comfort and it's a hunt for peace. And listen, this is just not for 
plus size people, hear me. If you're thin, this could just as easily apply to you. Just as easily apply to you. And I'll explain. We live in a tough world with jagged edges and hard decisions and confusion. Problems that just won't find a solution. Pain, rejection, family issues, work issues. We feel bombarded. And we have this desire to find comfort and retreat from it all. And that's not a bad thing, that desire, by the way. It's God hardwired into you to find a retreat, to find an escape from all the pain and frustration and all of that. Now, and I'd love to talk about that in the future. That, again, is a different subject in and of itself. What we are not created to do, however, is to find that rescue and that escape and that comfort and things like food or a sedentary lifestyle or a TV or a video game or anything like that. And it's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, here's a fact. Food, and just, just food in and of itself, chemically engenders memories that you have. It has the potential to do this, engendering memories that you have of other times where you were at peace or comfortable, right? So if you've ever been to a ball game, whether it's football or baseball or something, and you've paid the $7 for the hot dog, right? The one that came out of the, the little rolling case that you slip out of the foil sleeve, you know? And you paid a lot of money, you're like, wow, I just paid a lot of money for this. But then you eat it, and it tastes so good, doesn't it? I mean, honestly, it tastes good. Or you get a beer, and it's like $7 for like a Bud Light. And it's, it's almost clear. You can see through it. And you sit there with $15 worth of product, cheap beer, cheap hot dog, but you're on the third baseline, so you just kind of take it all in. You look at the sun and the crowd, and you're there with your bros, and you're just like, yeah. No way would you go to Aubrey's and say, I'll take the $7 hot dog and the $7 Bud Light. Wouldn't do that. Food does this for us, though. You do it in a heartbeat at a ball game. It's interesting. Even... Even restaurants and companies are figuring out ways to chemically engineer their food to give you a sense of comfort, to give you a sense of peace so you will keep coming back. Right? We even have a genre of food called comfort food, don't we? And it's good, isn't it? I mean, it's full of cheese and it's full of sugar and bread. And if, man, if they stick it into the deep fryer, I'm on board. I love comfort food. It's tasty food. I think Andrew Murray says it well when he speaks on discipline when it comes to food. He says, friends, the food you eat might be feeding your flesh more than feeding your body. That's true for me a lot of times. A lot of times when I eat, the food I eat is not really feeding my body. It's feeding my flesh. Add to this a sedentary lifestyle where we cower around a TV and we watch other people, we binge watch episodes, where other people are fixing problems and they're triumphing. And they, they might bump into some pain, but there's always answers at the end. There's solution at the end. Because we can't find solution in our problems. But we can, might live vicariously for 41 minutes watching this couple do it or this team do it. Or we role play in a game where we could become any character and beat other characters. We could live vicariously through that. We could retreat into a dark place in front of a TV and just sit just watch. Listen, I'm not against tasty food. Not, not against TV. I am going to submit they make a poor Jesus. They make a very poor Savior. Again, this is not a plus-size person's problem. Some of us are genetically predisposed to be thin, and you can still be one of the worst of gluttons. 
gluttony is not attached to size. You know, I'm a little bit ashamed now. I took it as a badge of honor back then, but I was pulled aside as a younger man. And I was working out all the time, and I was thin. I've never been visually uh, where, where someone would say, yeah, he's overweight. I've always been thin, and I think that's just part of my genetics, but I've had pastors pull me aside and say, Luke, I think that you might struggle a little bit with gluttony. With gluttony. Just retreating into food, eating as much as you want all the time and laughing about it and joking about it. Do you need to eat that much? The answer was no. And yes, I was escaping into it. Yes, it was a problem. Anyone, large or small, can abuse the human body by using food as a rescue. By using food as a rescue. Think about it. The hypocrisy of all of us sometimes, especially me, because when we do this with alcohol, we call it a drinking problem. When we have a hard day, we retreat into a tumbler of whatever it is, we call it a drinking problem. When we do it with food, we call it normal. We call it no big deal. This is what Jerry Bridges says in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. It's a great book. We've taken our leaders through it. If, if you are up for reading a new book in this new year, it'd be a great one to read, The Pursuit of Holiness. And he says this, gluttony and laziness were regarded by earlier Christians as sin. Today we may look on these as weaknesses of the will, but certainly not sin. We even joke about our overeating and other indulgences instead of crying out to God in confession and repentance. Interesting thought. That's an interesting thought. Another powerful speaker who's been heavy in my life, Dr. Swenson, um, Richard Swenson, he wrote a book called Margin, and it's mostly about time, but he does have this little rant he goes on, on how technology has freed us from some things and chained us to others. And he talks about how freedom has allowed us to leave some very old foes like scarlet fever and the bubonic plague, things that we don't really worry about today, right? But the same technology has pushed us towards what he calls a new morbidity, a new morbidity where we find ourselves going through drive throughs so fast and so constant that it's actually wrecking our life. Technology does not always advance us, is his argument. He says, medical authorities bemoan a national epidemic of poor health practices and estimate that 50% of all deaths now are related to lifestyle choices. 50%. Half of the people dying in our country are dying because of lifestyle choices because of bad management. If I were to tell you, or you were to find out that half of all the Best Buys in the United States of America shut down, you'd be like, wow, that's a lot of stores. Yeah, half of them. Why did they shut down? Because the managers were stealing stuff. <laughs> that would seem like a weird problem, would it not? The managers are stealing stuff. Yeah, like the TVs were missing and washing machines were just gone. Like all the DVDs were taken. They're all at the manager's house. They lost so much product, they just had to shut the store down. That's what we're talking about. It's not just bad management, we're stealing. We're stealing. The body does not belong to us. Now, true, true. Obesity, heart disease, it will kill more than Gold's Gym will. Okay? Heart disease, it will destroy more lives than eating disorders will. These are true statements. It's also true that elevating the body is more socially acceptable in our culture than demoting it. In God's eyes, they're both fails. In God's eyes, it's... it's Thievery. It's poor management in both sides. Both errors come from trying to own what we are here to manage. I think I've said a lot of bad news. It, this was my biggest fear. Some of you sitting and stirring in a shame 
or a, just a, a, a horrible feeling. I'd love to give some good news. We, we are people prone to bad news. It doesn't take very long. We talk about the human condition to get to how bad things are. Here is the good news, though, and I'm really excited about this, because think about it, the theology of the body. It's brilliant what God has done, because as he comes to earth to inhabit time and space with you and me, he comes in a body, comes in an ordinary body with freckles and sunburn lines, hair falling out. He comes in a body. And he gives this body so that you and I could have a glorified body. A better sacrifice. One that wouldn't crawl off the altar. A living sacrifice who would live vibrantly for God and die vibrantly for God. And he did this to give us glorified bodies, to give us new life. It's a great gospel. I love reading in Hebrews and living, reading in Romans as he talks about this, as Paul talks about this, and the author of Hebrews They'll use phrases like, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came looking like his brothers in every respect. Jesus would become a merciful priest. This is the beauty, though. He wouldn't just come as a merciful priest that would give an offering or slaughter an animal. He would come to be slaughtered and be the offering himself, himself, to provide something very different for us. We snatched his body away, and he gives us a new glorified one. And this presents some new truth for you and me as gospel people, because there are gospel implications to how we handle ourselves. And the gospel truth for us in this case is that Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our comfort from a sad, sad world. We don't have to find it anywhere else. Jesus is our beauty in an otherwise pretty ugly place, so we don't have to search for beauty in another place. Don't let culture define for you what beautiful is. Don't let them do that. They don't know. And their opinion changes all the time. Go back in time and look at what beautiful was in the 40s and the 30s and the 20s. It's different than it is today. It'll be different in 30 more years from now. Don't let culture tell you what beautiful is. The Bible's already spoken. You don't have to conform to the world. You don't have to do that. Not only that, we could lead our kids differently. Don't let culture tell you that you can smoke something, play something, eat something, watch something, and find comfort. That chemicals have to provide you in some way, shape, or form of a deeper comfort. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe that your body belongs to you. Don't believe it. This is, this is just a, a barrage. You don't have to believe that. The Bible speaks differently. The culture says your body belongs to you. Own it to your glory. God says, that body belongs to me. Manage it for my glory. It's a flop. So I'm just going to leave, because I know this is a little bit longer than I'm typically up here, and that's because I needed to take a little bit more care. There's two or three application points I'd love to leave you with, because I think it might be helpful. One is this. Come to terms with what real comfort looks like and what real beauty looks like. Because I, just, I was up here preaching it, and I was touching on it, give a passage here and give an argument there, but you haven't internalized it. It takes a while for that to happen. Here are some helpful passages that have been very helpful for me as I've done this. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, we see the prophet Isaiah say this, 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So in our culture's eyes, he wouldn't be what we would call beautiful. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Do you get the the beauty, the arc of this. Jesus, who was beautiful, he was the exact imprint of God. He was glorious. Jesus, who was beautiful, became ugly that we might become beautiful. He reestablishes what beauty is for us. What if beauty meant something different than inches? Than what a BMI scale tells us? Than what any scale tells us? Than what a magazine cover tells us? What if beautiful meant the internal work of what God was doing in our lives by virtue of the fact of what he did? What if that became beautiful? What if that's what our kids grew up knowing beautiful to be? What if we just totally discarded the culture's opinion on beauty? Sure, it's not been done, but what if we did? That's the true standard of what it is. Not, not just that, but if you look at comfort, Comfort, this is, a, this is a very helpful passage for me. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. Right? So who comforts us in our afflictions? God does. He comforts us. Netflix isn't going to pull it off for me. I could go fist over fist with moon pies, which I personally like. It's not going to be the comfort to me. I love certain things that make me feel comfortable and peaceful. It's not going to be the comfort to me. God is the one who comforts me in my affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Again, the beauty of the ark of what God has done. So Jesus was comfortable in the triunity a perfect fellowship with his Father and his Spirit, right? And he comes to a very uncomfortable place, an abusive place that murdered him. Why? To lead us to a comfortable place. Culture says you're going to need something to pull off that comfort and peace, a chemical of some kind, a moment of some kind. You don't have to believe that. What if culture is wrong? What if culture is wrong? What if we not only learned how to retreat into Jesus for comfort, but we were able to lead those around us to do the same? Because everybody's looking for comfort and peace because our lives are hard. Bar stool to your right and bar stool to your left. They're looking for comfort and peace, and they don't know where to get it. So they're just going to keep ordering beers. You know what I'm saying? They're just going to keep watching the same stuff. They're going to keep retreating into the same comfort zone that they found. They need leadership. It won't be a hard sell for them to see that the comfort that they call comfort is not really making them comfortable. Not a hard sell. This is the second thing I was going to say, is be disciplined with a strategy to see your stewardship through. Be disciplined with a strategy. And I actually wrote a blog on it that's on the website today regarding this. Because how you handle discipline when it comes to food or fitness, either one of those things, it reads a lot into how you're going to handle the discipline you have in other areas of your life. Discipline's not something you just flip on and off, right? 
So if you want to learn more about that, you can go on and read that because I think it's an important thought that I don't have time to go into. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Self-control is the key word. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And there we see Paul linking how he handles his external life with how it builds into his internal life. We see it. He's connecting them to. I'm not making this stuff up. He just said it. Now listen, here's where I don't tell you what you should do. Because <laughs> again, we're all different. And there's different routes of stewardship that can get you to glorifying God well with how you manage your body, right? But whichever one you pick is going to require discipline. And if you pick some route to better manage your body and it doesn't require great discipline, it's not a great route. It's going to be hard. It's going to require discipline. Now, some of you, you might not feel like you know what to do here. You might feel overwhelmed when it comes to, and I'm not just talking about those who are retreating into comfort. I might also be talking to you if you're retreating into identity. And you might be clueless. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do to fix this. This is one of the beauties of community. Find someone around you that is a little bit down the road in the same area. Is this not what we do with our money? When you need to invest your money and steward your money well, you find people that do it professionally, or people that don't do it professionally, but they have a bigger boat than you, right? People that have shown, I know how to handle this. Sit down with them and talk to them. What do I do? How do I bring some shape to this conviction? Maybe it means a new food architecture for you. Maybe it needs fitness. Maybe it means less sedentary living. Maybe it means all three. But without a strategy and a goal, friends, it's not going to happen. This will require a holy violence a discipline to it. Develop a plan. Get counsel on it. I've seen a lot of plans fail just because they're unrealistic. They'll set a plan and it just doesn't require very much heavy lifting. And then they're upset because they don't like the results they got in six weeks. Or they set it so far out in the stars that there's no way they can reach that goal. And then they just get crushed under the condemnation. Let someone else get their fingerprints all over your plan and let you see what is realistic and what is not realistic. Let them help you. Get some accountability into it. Number three, and finally, begin today and stick with it because it's going to take a while. Begin today and stick with it. A wise man said, and it's kind of an anonymous quote now, when it comes to eating right and exercising, there is no I'll start tomorrow because tomorrow is a disease. Start today. Tomorrow is a disease. And what we talked about is these are not amoral issues. These are moral issues that require repentance. We'll get an opportunity here in a moment to repent for how we've mismanaged our body, whether we're chasing identity and approval or whether we're chasing comfort and peace. We'll get an opportunity to repent. Just know that no real, lasting alteration to your life is going to come quickly, nor is it going to come easily. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a long while for many of us. I mean, whenever I, I just talked about how I struggled with gluttony, whenever I was a younger man. And there were some things as I started to get my health in a different place and try to be a better manager of, of what God owns and what I, what I manage. I had to say no to some foods, never to come back. I'd be lying to say I still don't crave them. Years later, two or three years later, there's food that I really, really, really crave, even now as I talk to you. 
there was a plate in front of me, it'd be tough. It'd be tough for me. It's taken me years to establish a new baseline. It's taken me years to work through this. Again, community will help, but getting a gospel footing in this will help the most. Getting a gospel understanding of how you manage your body and what it means. That way you're not just doing it to look a different way, right? So you could, still, you could be fit and healthy and still be sinning against God if you're doing it to make yourself look a certain way, if you're just trying to chase identity. You could be fit and healthy and still be sinning. Isn't that interesting? So different from the culture. We have to be careful not to conform to the culture. Let me pray for you. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to get out of this. Again, I'm sorry it took as long as I did. I don't do that often. Father, we thank you so much for being good to us and not leaving us in the dark with how to handle this. But Father, we do want to be a different people that sees, I guess a people that views beauty different than what the culture does today. Lord, that when people enter the church, when people come to a church or become a part of the church, everything they understand about what is beautiful and attractive is shattered. That our young people growing up see beauty different than what the tabloids say, than what the media says today. The Father, when people come into the church or become a part of the church and they think of comfort, they think of something different than what the culture says. Lord, that we would be a people that find our comfort in you, that we would be a people that would find our identity in you, and that would even affect how we handle our body. It would have gospel implications on our, on our physical frame. Lord, I know this is important. I, I know, Father, as odd of a sermon as it is, I know it's an important one. You said the body is very good. You came in a body, gave a body, and you're providing a new one for us. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. So, Lord, as we repent, as we worship, Father, help us work our way through this. Help our hearts not be resistant to this. Help our hearts be open and receptive to the work that you want to do. I know some in here don't even know you, Father, and I pray that you would be massaging their heart and developing a response towards you. Or that some of us would change the way we live with our body, not for any other reason besides glorifying you with what you own and what we just merely have for a short while. So, Father, we love you and we're very excited to worship you and to be a living sacrifice that does not crawl off the altar. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.